Seven Mech Warriors, and welcome to another episode of Incoming Missile, a Mech Warrior online podcast. Uh, first of all, I'd just like to thank everyone who's watched or listened to our previous couple of episodes, and in particular, anyone who's taken the time to reach out and send us a bit of feedback on those uh, podcasts. And um, welcome, Cozen Indigo. How are you? Very good, mate. Very good. How are you? Yeah, good, man. Good. Uh, so we've got a couple of episodes up there already under our belts. We do. So uh, obviously, hopefully you've all listened to our first one, which was uh, on player skill uh, and matchmaking. That was the first uh, in our look at balance in the game. Uh, And we did release a mini pod, uh, a little short one that was uh, in response to the NGNG TV uh, discussion on balance as well. So you can find those uh, on all the major podcast platforms. Uh, You can uh, find them on YouTube. Uh, Make sure to subscribe. Uh, if you do find it on there, uh, or also on SoundCloud. Uh, so search for Incoming Missile Podcast uh, and check out those two if you haven't listened already. Yeah, great. And in particular, uh, thank you if you guys took the time to uh, send us a bit of feedback or your thoughts on some of the things that we said in those two episodes. Um, and if you uh, had something that you wanted to uh, get in front of us or uh, just a discussion point that, that you thought would be good or just uh, something you wanted to talk about with the rest of the community um, we can be reached on Twitter you can tweet us at incoming P or you can comment on YouTube or Reddit and outreach or if you uh, prefer to keep your thoughts just between you and us you can email us at incoming missile podcast at gmail.com This is the second video in our balance series, Um, so we are hoping to work through sort of some of the major aspects of balance in the game. As Cozen said, our first one was on player skill and matchmaker, and this one's going to be covering more about mech balance. We're hoping to do another few videos like that, and leading up to a bit of a conclusion where we make some recommendations to PGI about potentially how... Uh, balance in the game could be improved and that's going to be based on your guys feedback and your guys input uh, which we're hoping to collect it's exactly right Kat we're hoping to help people understand the balance picture Uh, we're focusing on what we think are the fundamental aspects that influence balance um, and therefore influence performance so we're very keen to hear what you think about uh, what we have said uh, what we say today uh, and what we will say uh, in the upcoming uh, balance related podcasts So we've got a bit of a plan to put together some resources, both for the community and for PGI, who definitely listen to these podcasts. Um, And um, with that in mind, we will be asking for your feedback uh, in the near future. So look out for that and um, also look out for opportunities uh, for free stuff uh, in our rigaways, I mean giveaways. And uh, (laughs) uh, we've got some plans for the future as well we'd we'd like to uh i know you guys love listening to our our voices talking back and forth but um we'd also like to do some interviews cousin did you you had some people in mind i think yeah i mean we're very keen to um interview other content creators uh, and you know get an idea of uh, the experience of mwi their experience of creating that content uh, and uh, again, to to bring another voice um, beyond just yours and mine's, Kim. 
as as beautiful Kiwi accents as they are. Also, we we could potentially do some mech reviews on any new content that goes into the game. We um, and we're also open to hearing your ideas about the kind of things you'd like to hear uh, on the podcast. If you have any suggestions, then get in touch by all means. Absolutely, and look, the best way to do that is to follow us on Twitter, uh, at IncomingP. Uh, anything we do, we will announce via there, so uh, make sure that you find us and follow us there. Uh, of course, subscribe to us on YouTube to uh, catch the videos uh, that we release. Uh, and yeah, of course, watch for us on uh, Reddit uh, in the forums as well for those announcements. And as previously discussed, we are going to pick a lucky winner, someone who's commented on on our video either on reddit or uh, in those places that we mentioned and we'll be drawing that and putting it on youtube another good reason to subscribe or follow us on twitter uh, we'll be announcing that winner uh, in the next day or so after this uh, podcast is released all right o7 mechwise we are back and we are going to kick off this discussion around mechs uh, and how mechs affect balance. How you doing, Kim? Yeah, good, man, and you? Very good, very good. How's the um, faction warfare going? Oh, it's, <laughs> it's pretty entertaining. Some some of the modes are giving us some hard work, but, you know, running around and around in Conquest is, is pretty fun. It's not a bad, it's not a bad um, format, really, eh? No, it's actually, it's actually pretty good. I'd like to play it some more. So, obviously, playing Faction Warfare, we get a chance to play with um, a few mechs, uh, and as I said, we're going to talk about how that does affect the overall picture of balance. Um, as we know, mechs are impacted and, and you know, can get um, tweaked up or down quite frequently. Um, so, Kat, I mean, I guess the first question around mechs and mech balance is, why are mechs even different? Uh, you know, why why aren't all mechs in the mech world universe just the same? <laughs> uh, probably one thing we can all agree on is that you know it's good that mechs are different from each other but I mean if it, it would make it certainly uh, easier to balance if they're all the same I suppose yeah it certainly would <laughs> um, but yeah I mean there's there's what are we up to 700 something mechs in the game and I mean it, it's I think everyone has their favourite one and it's kind of cool that they've all got a little little niche to fit into to greater or less extent yeah and i guess that's probably the you know a good way to look at it that um you know the, the reason that mechs are different is that you know that they, they provide the color in which the battle tech universe is painted you know if they're all the same oh, then I like the universes yeah that, yeah it's pretty poetic isn't it um that you know if they're all the same then you know the, the whole thing looks the same and if all you're doing is changing um what's on that mech it would become uh pretty boring pretty quick right yeah, and I mean, you know, there's there's as many mechs as there are ways to to play the game, I guess you could say, or potentially there's there's a few more mechs than there are ways to play the game, but at least, uh, you know, you can go out there with a, a, a couple of different mechs and do something very different. Yeah, and I guess it's probably the, the, you know, that leads into why the next reason that mechs are different is that, um, you know, MechWarrior is a role-based game. So, you know, it's... it's Supposedly. Yeah, supposedly. Um, but look, uh, mechs are different weights, um, it, you know, for the for the reason that, you know, they would serve different functions on the battlefield. So, you know, you, you have mechs different because, 
you know, that mix are the kind of the Lego blocks that you build these game modes around. You know, the, the way that you design a game mode, I guess, would, would depend on the way that you want the different mix to act within it. Um, so, you know, generally, mm. you at least have that um, differentiation between mix uh, in class, uh, which is those tonnage ranges. Um, you know, if, if you didn't have the different tonnage ranges, then it would be hard to fit them to different roles. Yeah, and I guess things can cross those borders as well. You know, you have your pseudo lights and your, you know, your pseudo mediums and all that kind of thing, where you know an assassin plays like a light, whereas a cougar plays like a medium, perhaps. Yeah, and dividing that seven twenty up, you know, you've got this continuum um, of roles across tonnage um, and the different, you know, different purposes that each of those mechs will have, and sometimes a mech can fit, you know, multiple purposes. Um, but you know, the reason that you want them different is so that they can do different things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 fun to run around getting people's butts and uh, SRM, SRM bombing them, or but it's also fun to, you know, sit far away plinking things with AC2s if you like that sort of thing. You know, mech warriors provide the colour. Um, you know, obviously they form the basis for the 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 lore uh, and the way mm. that the battle tech. You know, it helps define the battle tech universe. And of course, uh, in a game sense, you want the mechs to play. Um, you know, the, uh, different roles so that you can have different game modes. Um, I guess one of the other main reasons that um, mechs are different is that, you know, in a free-to-play game like MechWarrior Online, mechs are the, the fundamental unit of currency. They're the US dollar of the MechWarrior world. They are the mech economy, you know, and if you don't have a mech economy, you don't have a free-to-play game, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing we're all striving to get, generally speaking, is working towards getting a new mech, especially, especially when you start playing. You got you get your first mech and then you know usually people just set their sights on what am I going to get next? <laughs> yeah, you want uh, you know PGI will want different mechs in the game because yeah they can sell that right. You, you want to collect them, uh, you want to get C bills, you want to buy MC for mech bays. You know that, that forms that kind of the fundamental economy for the way that they they make money off the game. And let's not underestimate as well like how much um, investment people have already in these mechs before they even come to MechWarrior Online because you know it, most of the mechs in the game already have a story associated with them then some people you know have played that mech in mech warrior 2 or or whatever and um you know that was their favorite one so they're pretty keen to get it in this game you know while we're on the discussion of mechs uh you know that leads into to the next question which is what makes those mechs different and i guess when we're asking mm. that question we're saying you know is what makes a mech good or bad maybe i can make this um at least a little bit easier for conversation's sake and um, talk, I guess, about maybe some general categories that, that help make a mech mm -hmm. good or bad, or um, at least categories that they can excel at or not. So I'll just I'll just go through these, and then maybe we can talk about each one of these um, individually after I've, I've outlined them. The first thing uh, around the flexibility of a mech. So generally, can that mech be adapted to compete across you know various different styles, game modes, that kind of thing. Can the mech specialize? So can it do one thing really, really well? Can it excel uh, in one role or play style? Or is there one build that is particularly good? Uh, that's an important one when we think about dominant metas around balance. Um, how usable is it? So, you know, how difficult is it to play the mech uh, to get the most out of it? And when we're talking about that, we're talking about, you know, its mobility, hard points like you were saying um you know is it easy to to be the pilot of a mech like that 
how long will it take you to die? So we're kind of talking about the general survivability. If we take into account the things that help you uh, avoid damage, whether it be, you know, raw hit points, armor, geometry, how quick you are, those kind of things. Um, How quickly can you kill other mechs? So what kind of firepower can you pack? The type of firepower, the number of hardpoints you have, where those hardpoints are, etc. And, you know, that's been obviously pretty popular recently around uh, Clan Laser Vomit and um, the 94-point Alpha Deathstrike Bogey mech. Um, And then the last one that I've got there is how fun the mech is to play. So is there... Does that mech have a cult following? Is there something about it that, you know, the law warriors level or something like that? And I guess, you know, the best example I can give there is the Ubi. You know, Ubi has this cult following that, um, you know, despite the mech having, you know, maybe so-so uh, attributes uh, in those other areas that I talked about, it's just fun to play and, and has that cult following. So of those areas, the f- it's flexibility, the way it can do one thing really well, it's usability, you know, playing the mech is it easy, uh, how long will it take you to die, so your survivability and your firepower, how quickly can you kill other things, and then the fun element. Yeah, well, um, let's compare notes, because I, I, I made a little list as well. Oh, notes. Professional podcasters. <laughs> I can only get so erect. <laughs> notes. This is where it gets cozy and going, guys. <laughs> Structure. All right. Organization. So yeah, so some of the things you already uh, hit upon. Uh, so we had um, geometry. Uh, so and that includes where um, PGI puts the hitboxes, which kind of is kind of an intangible thing because you don't get to see that in game apart from you know your damage registration where it goes. You just um, you know so some mechs look good on paper, but then actually their side torsos are much bigger. Than they could otherwise be, and you know, they're easy to knock off. Sun Spider being an example when it came out, um, yeah, the, a lot better, the Thanatos, a lot better now with its large bust, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so then there's the hard points, uh, like you mentioned, and and where they are, so how high up they are, and how how they're arranged. So if you have you know a lot of high mounted um, weapons, that's going to be better than just one high mounted weapon and then four in your belly button, um, and then. Inside of that, there's actuators as well because that allows you to um, put, you know, different weapons into those hard points, and uh, and also within that nested within that, you hit what you touched upon, there's alpha potential. So, you know, if it lets you bring, it it allows you to bring lots of big weapons and it's a big mech that's gonna obviously make it better. Um, there's quirks, which is kind of an obvious one, but then how those quirks tie in with the hard points, like how many ballistic hard points it has, for example, or missile hard points, is actually defines how important those quirks are. For example, the grasshopper has um, a missile hard point in the head, and then it's heavily quirked. But obviously, that hard point is in the head. You're not ever going to be able to put much in there, right? Um, five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, then there's, um, whether it's clan or AS, affects whether the mech is good or bad, quite honestly. Um, and then within that as well, whether it's a battle mech or omni mech, because obviously some clan mechs are battle mechs, like the Hunchback 2C, uh, or the um, Mad Cat 2. And that makes them better, because it means that you can um, effectively decide down to a granular level of detail exactly 
what is going to be on that mech, as long as the hard points that it comes with supports that. Um, which leads into pod space. So some mechs are quite nice on paper, but then they're just because of fixed components or because they've got a really large fixed engine, like the Black Lanner, um, that just doesn't allow you to do anything very much with them, or not as much as you would otherwise be able to. Mobility, um, that includes, you know, for example, how far your torso, torso can twist or how f far your arms can move and those sort of things, but also, you know, how fast you twist, um, how fast your mech turns, those kind of things. Engine cap, if it's a battle mech, jump jets, and whether it can take, let's call them additionals like SM and MASC. So those are my major ones. <laughs> it's quite a long yeah. list. It's a good and list. Then, and and I just wanted to include a little bit more, um, if I may, which is um, some more abstract stuff, because um, in a way they can be more important. My first one on the list is it, I just put meta, which means it, is it the kind of mech that can carry the kind of weapons and loadouts that are currently the meta, right? It's a really good point. Mm -hmm. And then you talked about flexibility. And I sort of I, I put flexibility as well, but I put that down as that it can survive nerfs. So, you know, talking about a kind of a different kind of flexibility. So, if it's the kind of mech like, say, the Death Strike, where they're trying to nerf it, but you know, hey, you can just chop out this weapon for that weapon, and it can still be great. Well, then it's flexible in that way. Yeah. Design focus. So, you know, if it's if it's hard points and quirks and uh, hitboxes and all that stuff uh, focus it to playing a particular role then then it's got a good design focus and it's going to be better for that a couple more threat rating <laughs> this is actually a surprisingly big one uh, if you if you're in the kind of mech that instantly gets focused like a piranha then you're going to have a much worse time than you, if you're in something like a kit fox where people were going to target you with much more prejudice <laughs> and then i think that there's mechs on the other end of the scale as well like the kodiak and things like that back in the day if someone saw a kodiak i mean everyone on the team's going to turn and start shooting the kodiak and it's still kind of true even though the kodiak's not as good as it once was and then yeah there, there, there's a few more points there like how the animations work um and and things like that we touched on like it's nostalgia value you can make it, it quite honestly if if a mech is the mech that someone played when they were eight years old and loved they're going to say that that mech's good um whether or not it is or they're going to enjoy playing it or they're going to want to buy it and that's my list it's a good list kate and, and you've highlighted um you know quite a quite a few things there i guess probably you know the fact that we've been able to put two lists together, and we've been able to, we've been able to cover off so many things. Maybe highlights the fact around how influential a mech is and how difficult it is to balance per mech. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and how some mechs can really shine because, you know, they've got they tick a lot of those boxes all at the same time, or um, how a mech can look really good on paper, but then, you know, when it comes out, it it you know it's doa or falls a bit flat because it just you know one of those really important criteria it, it really doesn't have 
So if we were to get into the mind of PGI and, and let's say we're designing up a mech or we're, we're picking a mech that's already in law and mm-hmm. we are we're factoring in all those things that make a mech good or bad, what, what approach should PGI be taking mm. when they're putting out good mech packs? And just to keep this in mind, um, remember that you've got to put out a mech pack every month or, or six weeks or, or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, there's a pipeline. Well, I mean, the key thing to start with is is I, I this is my understanding of, of, of how PGI would go about it, right? And this is just based on intuition. So PGI would look up the mech in the technical readouts, TROs, um, that they're going to make. And then they'd look at, you know, the loadouts and, and the kind of things and the artwork that it already has because, you know, people were kind of, potentially attach those artworks in you know in their in their past um and then uh from there i think alex uh, is their uh, mech designer he's a god among men but i think before alex even sees it there's a list of sort of well, a bit of a design brief where it's saying you know we're making this mech based roughly on this artwork and it's you know Maybe they've picked out a few of the variants that they're going to put in the game because there's a slot for them in the game. You know, we don't really have a mech that, say, can take four ballistic and four missile. So that that's kind of, you know, a niche that's waiting to be filled within the game. Um, and then, you know, they'll pick out one variant from that for the artwork to be made from. This is my understanding. And Alex goes away and he looks at... Um, you know, we've seen a little bit of his design process that he's looking at um, the sort of design influences that go into that mix. So say if it's a, a blood asp, you'll be looking at pictures of snakes and things like that, right? Because you want it to, you know, if you look through the mix, especially the ones like the clan ones that are, that are based on animals and things like that, they definitely have an influence of the of the source of, you know, a, a snake or a, a shark or whatever it is a wolf. A, a wolf yeah that's a good one um and so he's got you know this images arranged outside and he's drawing in while keeping in the mind that you know the hard points need to be here and there but i think you know from that point at least I, I, my my gut tells me that he has a lot of his a lot of say in how it's going to look in the end and where you know that that can lead to influencing where those hard points are going to be in terms of height um, and you know uh, how they're going to be clustered together and you know that sort of thing and then then I guess we get our first look at it from there how, do, how does how does that sound does it sort of differ from what you might have thought they would go through this process yeah yeah look I mean it um you know I mean you're the you're the design expert so all that stuff makes makes sense from my point of view um, mm. I mean truth be told I'm you know as, a, as the potato of the podcast I you know I hadn't really thought or, or don't man. really understand that 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 part of it um, but I guess probably what you've said th- thus far is that PGI would consider a niche maybe what they want the mech to do or what's maybe missing at the moment um, mm. so they're looking at the current environment and you know that becomes the first constraint mm. yeah yeah it certainly tracks that just to, to, to feed off what you're saying it tracks that um, you know, if you look at the mechs that are coming out, uh, it, they, they, they seem to be almost grouped, and it's like, okay, now we're going to put out mechs that have a bunch of ballistics and missiles together, which is something we haven't had before. Yeah. And, and, and so that kind of feeds into what you're saying. What about um, 
marketability. I maybe that's the first thing that PGI is looking at. Like which mech out of all these mechs, possible mechs that we could put into the game that are you know because obviously they're working to a timeline vaguely. Uh, so out of all these mechs, which mech do people want in the game the most? I feel like that would be a fairly major consideration. What mech is you know people just itching to get their hands on? Yeah. So the the way that they put together this schedule would be yeah looking at what mechs might be more popular from mm. a sale perspective. So, so you'd have to think about it at some point before you even started making the artwork and all that kind of stuff. Is are we going to sell these? <laughs> Yeah, I guess we could probably generally agree though that um, you know there are those constraints um, at the mm. start um, that what mech is released, what that mech looks like, and um, what attributes it's given around geometry and those other things that we covered off in our lists about what makes a mech good or bad. Initially, mm. it has to go through that um, that constraint process. You know, it, the mech has to look a certain way. Um, you know, it has to be the mech that. It is going to be marketable and, and that they can sell to the to the population. Um, so mm. automatically, you're what on the back foot or the front foot. But you know, it it, it um, adds an, an element or a constraint, as I keep saying, to what the balance picture looks like, right? Mm, for sure. And I think um, we've kind of worked our sort of intuition and logic up to the point where Alex has put out that concept, and we've got potentially uh, also we get you know the store page with all the loadouts and all that kind of stuff and from that point almost it gets quite interesting for me because well for a start we know a lot more about how that process get, ha happens after that because you know we've seen video streams and things like that people doing the 3d files and things and so you've got at, at pgi's office you know on the to-do board You've got the concept mm. art of whatever mech it is. Let's say it's the Blood Asp. And then you've got a list of variants and their hard points. From there, then the modeling team gets their hands on it. And then they start, for a start, putting it into 3D because at, the, at that point they've only got sort of elevations, you know, front, yeah. side, blah, blah, blah. And that, that can leave a lot of um, vagary. And, you know, as soon as you turn something on a, you know, isometric 45 degree view, it's gonna, there's gonna be questions like, oh, how does that, you know, what does happen behind this thing, you know, between the front and the right side? And and how are we gonna um, fit our normal model of a course into that hard point that he's drawn? Or, you know, those laser lenses that they use all the time, you know, might not fit exactly in the way that it's been drawn in proportion. So then you need to start sort of shifting and adapting and scaling and adjusting so that, you know, obviously as players, we want to be able to look at a mech on the battlefield and say, well, that's going to be carrying such and such a kind of weapon, LBX-10s or, or um, lasers or PPCs or whatever. So it kind of needs to be standardized. Um, and that those, those kind of translations, and when you, and then you're also looking at the different variants and going, well, you know, he's drawn a model with, you know, two ballistic shoulders and a, and six energy uh, split between the arms, but the next variant has none of that. It's got missiles and blah. So how does that look, you know? Because he's probably not drawing concept art for that stage. Certainly, we don't see that. So there's some interesting translations and adaptations that go in there that we don't kind of get to see the decision-making in there. 
generally you're saying that the first thing to consider around balance is that the mech has to go through the design process, uh, the design and market process, which mm. means that the way that the mech will be modelled and designed will set a platform for some of those other decisions around balance, the sides, the, you know, the geometry and some of those other things we talked about, yeah? Yeah, and we've seen, we've seen you know, it's interesting because um, for the community because we've seen mechs that have looked really great on the concept art and then, you know, at least for people's um, perception, they've fallen flat when it comes out on the model. They don't they don't like it as much because it doesn't quite capture whatever it was, the, you know, the shoulder-mounted ballistics on the Blood Aspers premium example. doesn't, didn't look exactly like it did in the concept art, so people were really disappointed, which obviously, you know, yeah, people lose a bit of faith in the in the idea. Yeah, although we've we've talked about the difficulty that might be involved in the design process that goes into that. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess as part of that, you know, as you're working along, and and you'd have itera- iterative design where you'd you'd be, you know, producing an initial draft of the three D you know model of your blood asp, and you'd then it would be fed back into the process and, and your balance team would look at it and go, well, actually, you know, those shoulders are just going to get popped off or um, or, or those um, legs are too skinny and it's going gonna, it's gonna to make that mech too hard to hit, hit. So, you know, you know, write some stuff on red pen and then it goes back to the 3D modeler for adjustment, you'd assume. I mean, you've talked about the design process and, you know, that is obviously a pretty cru- crucial and probably the the starting point but you know a lot of people obviously that are listening would be like man you know i appreciate that but you know when it hits um, and when i buy it i i want it regardless of the way that it looks to be competitive right you know most people don't necessarily want to pay to win um but they want to make sure that when they buy the mech that it is worth the investment not doa to use the the you know the community term dead dead on a rival so most people, as you say, would, would not want the mech to be DOA. They'd want to know that they've, they've paid their money and that the, the mech is at least competitive. So why then wouldn't you, when you're releasing a mech, ensure that every time it is competitive, that the geometry is good, that if it does have you know large side torsos like the Fafnir or the, or the Thanatos or something else, that you by default are applying quirks uh, because you know that those things might get popped off really easily or the Sun Spider, why wouldn't you release a mech and, and ensure that you know it's either quirked to the level that it can be competitive or you know it, it's compensated in some way? Hmm. Well, it's a it's a tricky one because on one hand, I mean, even as a business, you want people to get the mech in their mech lab and then be able to enjoy it and have fun with it because that is you know, a key part of the um, purchase process with, that you get to enjoy what you, you bought and not get frustrated with it because remember that there's an event with every mech release that, you know, f- collect a certain amount of damage um, and then you can, you know, unlock some colour schemes and war horns and things like that for your, for your new mech. And those events can be very frustrating as a player when the mech falls flat. And you're going out there with your new toy, and it's just getting smashed every time. As the on PGI's side, I mean that that so that is part of PGI's um, purview. They want, they should want 
the mix to be good when they come out because otherwise people are going to be left with a sour taste in their mouth and first impressions last let's not forget so you know things like the thanatos and the sun spider even now have a bit of a stigma about them people you know you don't see as many on the, of them on the battlefield as perhaps they deserve because when they came out they were not great um, on the other hand um, if you released a mech I mean I'm just I'm just spitballing here. Yeah, that's what we had to do, spitball. <laughs> For your entertainment. Um, <laughs> are, you, are you not entertained? Support us on Patreon to get more spitballing. <laughs> Delivered fresh daily. Um, so, <laughs> fortnightly. Uh, so <laughs> so um, I think it would be really bad for PGI if they were to release something that was overpowered intentionally and then realize that they'd pushed that bar too far into the overpowered range and then have to nerf it can you imagine the community sentiment to you know having my new toy gets nerfed now i I can't imagine but maybe would would that be a viable strategy if you expected the shelf life of the mech to be like a year. So what would what about if the common understanding was that you're going to buy this mech and at some stage it's going to be depowered for lack of a better word, um, and but that that's not going to happen quickly. You're going to get at least a year of it, not necessarily being the dominant meta, but at least being competitive. Because we're not saying that okay, you know you've got to buy the latest mech, the Vulcan, and um, if you don't buy that mech. You know, you're just going to get your ass handed to you. But what about making it slightly overpowered so that it automatically goes into the competitive bracket? And then if it starts to get out of hand, you do roll it back a bit, but you don't do that until a year's time. I mean, is that, you know, would that work? Uh, no. I, I, <laughs> in, in one word, uh, no, I don't think so. Because, I mean, in, in on one hand, you've got... Um, the people who've purchased it who are potentially going to get shitty when you nerf it um, and maybe that's not such a major concern if, you, if your plan was to nerf it down the track and you know you've had your fun kind of thing but on the other side the pe- all the people that didn't buy it are going to get shitty because it's pay to win basically they're going to call pay to win even if it's not like super pay to win even if it's just you know good people are going to get upset because it's you know probably just being good makes it better than you know a lot of the mechs out there already i mean it's a really good point and it's kind of one of the things that it's almost one of those understandings out in the community that pgi almost has to be dedicated to making it free to play and if they push the pay to win button too much then they do cop a lot of flack right yeah totally and i think honestly i think that they probably intentionally I don't know but my my con- here's a conspiracy theory for you oh tin hats okay listeners tin hats on everybody put your tinfoil hats on now all right and here we go so if I was PG high <laughs> this is what I'd do I'd put out some mix that were really really good every now and then and then the rest of the time I'd put out some mix that were that were good or okay um, and that means that those mechs that are really really good and hopefully they're obviously good 
I can make a crap ton of money off those. And then the other mechs, I can make some money um, because some people just buy everything or, or that mech has a nostalgia value or you know some of the other criterias. Someone just likes that thing, um, likes the builds that you can run on that, for example. And that, that means that you can mitigate your um, you know, you sort of pay-to-win meter. <laughs> Every now and then you can pump a cool shot on that pay-to-win meter and dump out, vent out some uh, some pay-to-win. And, uh, uh, you know, because, hey, look, we're only putting out these these OP mechs, every one in, let's say, four or five. What do you think of that idea? This, this the, the theory does make sense. I guess it's almost a marketing strategy, right? So you do have, you know, one mech that um, is a, that does is obviously um, going to excel. Uh, and then the other mechs that you release, you, you don't make them bad. You just make them kind of middle of the row. Um, and I guess, you know, probably what we need to realize is that when they release a mech, then there, there might be five or six different mechs and you could actually just have one or two variants, um, you know, you, a, a mech pack can be worth buying even if one or two variants is, uh, you know, can be competitive. Um, you know, if we take take the Piranha for an ex- for example, you know, it does have one um, one variant that that is, you know, head and shoulders um, above the others. I was just wanted to come back to the an early an earlier um, point that we were talking about about this idea that you could just put out the mech OP, and then later on down the track nerf them. Well. You know, it really needs to be mentioned that that is the community sentiment of what happens. Um, whether whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. Personally, I don't think it really is. Um, but there is a little bit of correlation for that by the time it gets into free-to-play territory, so, you know, releases for C-bills, in other words, that's when inevitably the nerfs come rolling out for it because, you know, you've had this mech for a year in the game and now it's time we bring it in line with the others. Well, you know, that that again leaves a sour taste in people's mouths who've been waiting all this time to be able to buy it on their free-to-play account or, you know, just didn't have the money or were cheapskates or whatever. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So I think that would, that would be something I'd try to avoid as well. Yeah, and look, it, it sounds like it's a delicate balance. Um, you know, there's that word again. You know, it sounds like a, a mm. delicate balance in that marketing strategy um, to, to get that stuff right. And I really think PGI actually does a pretty stand-up job of releasing mechs that aren't all the best thing out there. I mean, you know, if you look through, if you just put together a list of the hero mechs that are in the game, um, which are, you know, you always have to pay real money for those mechs. You're never going to be able to get them free to play. Those, those are the ones that you'd be most worried would be pay to win, right? Yeah. But actually, I put together a little list earlier today because I knew we were going to have be having this conversation. Professional podcasters. <laughs> yeah, out of <laughs> out of the hundred plus heroes in the game, I counted. About 11 to, let's say, 20 that were, you know, better than everything around them. And that includes, you know, especially if you go up to the 20 number, that really includes ones that are just better than, you know, they're a good mech and then the hero is just slightly better or it has an uh, Omnipod that you need 
to make the best build or those kind of things. So, so that doesn't include mechs that are just better than the other variants in that chassis. Yeah. But it does include, so that 20 number does include, as you know, I've got the Pirate's Bane, K9, Grinner, Shard, Purifier, Packet, IV4, Black Widow, Revenant, that's Mad Dog, uh, the Hellbringer of Virago, um, the Linebacker, Redline, Jade Kite, Sleipnir, Scorch, the Keeper, the Death Strike, and the Ultraviolet. So some of those mechs in there, like the Pirate's Bane or the Ultraviolet, are not the you know top tier. They're just you know they're a good mech, then and that's you know allows you to do some of the best builds on those mechs. Or the Packet is probably a good example. Yeah, and and here is. You know, and mix with Omnis, of course, the heroes almost have a, um, you know, you're not as likely to, to get the value out of the hero uh, when when it's an Omni mech. Yeah. yeah, there's plenty of hero Omnis that just aren't that great, like the Lacerator or the, the Nova Hero or whatever other one. They just, just sort of add another option, but they're not really better. So that's a, that's a, that's, so that's a pretty good strike rate, I reckon, for, for you know, you know, they're money makers for not making them all too good. What's, what's that about? 20%. Yeah. So there's, you think that there's potentially a little bit of a misperception out in the community that, um, you know, it's, it is pay to win and that this, it's an unfair, it's unfairly skewed towards the pay to win model. I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, again, if I was, if I was running, you know, uh, PGI and I had my, you know, cynical marketing hat on, I would probably make sure that amongst those heroes, there was some, you know, money makers that are going to, you know, just keep ticking over a little bit of, you know, goose that glaze the golden egg type mix. You know, I'm looking at you, IV4 or Sleipnir. That's some of my favorite mix. Please don't know. So look, we've, we've covered, um, you know, quite a few details there around mechs, you know, why the mechs have to be different, um, what might make a mech good or bad, and then maybe some of the challenge in releasing new mechs. I mean, these are all things that are going to be relevant um, to the to the balanced discussion. Um, another thing that I want to check, chuck at you around um, the difficulty with balance is the way that mechs are affected by other bal- balance mechanisms. So, you know, last time we talked about... Um, Know, clan lasers and in, uh, in reaction to the podcast from um, NGNGTV, you know, is it fair to say that not all mechs are affected equal when there is a change um, and therefore um, in releasing a mech you almost have to think about what other balance changes you're going to make? Yeah. yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, I, and, and PGI do do that. Um, I mean, the for example, before the Piranha came out, there was um, some uh, other mechs that came out with a lot of machine guns, and then a little bit of rebalancing that happened. There was a few um, machine gun events. I think that's 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 PGI's real PTS right there when they put in, you know, event where you've got to do a certain amount of damage with machine guns. They can collect a lot of good de- uh, data out of that. I think I suspect. Um, and so then, you know, you put out your Mistlinx G and then with eight machine guns and you can watch how that's performing and then a little ways down the track, once you've adjusted those values somewhat without hurting too many feelings, then you can put Piranha in the game and hopefully get it in the right place. Because it probably should, should be mentioned in amongst all these mech balance 
considerations and you know designing and building and putting a new mech into the game that that's a prediction you know how how good is this mech gonna be is is crystal ball gazing for sure yeah. you're putting your mech into the game with all those variables that we've discussed and how they all synergize and come together in the mech is yeah it's gonna i think that live the live environment is going to throw you a few curveballs for sure all right, so here's, here's another thing that we're going to throw at you around balance. We've talked about the mechanisms and what makes a mech good or bad, um, you know, and in essence we're talking about, you know, the way that it will perform. But you did allude earlier that um, people feel certain ways about mechs and there's nothing else in the game that has an emotional attachment than mechs. So whatever decisions you are making about mechs from the way it looks to what weapons it carries to um, you know a hundred other things about it you you have to consider or you're going to be risking the ire of people's emotional attachment to the mechs yeah 100% I mean people are still complaining about the Timberwolf um, because that's to me that is the mech warrior mech you know the, the mech from the cover of so many you know cover arts or um and and then in MechWarrior Online, it was a really good mech for a really long time. So people, again, rebonded with that mech and formed another emotional attachment with it. And then it got taken away. The Timberwolf's a good example. And the Atlas is probably another good one. You know, the Atlas is probably uh, one of the most iconic mm. uh, mechs. You know, it's effectively the, it was the cover of the MWO launch screen. Um, you know, here's another mech that, that people may have a uh, emotional attachment to or that PGO themselves may, may be invested in um, keeping iconic because people are so familiar with uh, with, with that vision um, of the Atlas and the glowing eye. So, you know, it just adds another layer of challenge that if you are going to balance uh, by mech, if you're going to make mech-specific changes in an effort to balance the game, you know, you're running up against a pretty big barrier in, in the way that people feel about that mech and that attachment that they'll have. Yeah, and I mean, if PGA haven't worked that out by now, then then you've got to be worried because, I mean, the, the amount of backlash that you get every time you take, you know, especially, especially if it gets nerfed to the point where you take it out of the game functionally. You know, like, uh, you know, the Kodiak is still kind of usable and fun to play, but it you know, it's nowhere near the lofty heights that it was once. And it did need to be adjusted. But then once it once it gets nerfed to the point where it's you know, I the, the poor old um the poor old Shadow Cat <laughs> it's just seen nerf after nerf after nerf and it's uh, you know, because because of the way that it because of the playstyle associated with it, m- more than because of the mech, really. The Kodiak is, is probably a good example, and maybe the Shadow Cat as well, is that we talk about balance being an effort to avoid a, a dominant strategy uh, emerging, or at least staying the top of the rung for a period of time. Mechs maybe provide no other, no better example of the fact that meta should actually be shifting, like you like said last um, podcast. What you want is you want something to be meta for a period of time. You want the Kodiak to be the power on the uh, on the battlefield for a certain period of time, and then you do want it to to you know maybe drop down, yeah, drop down in relevance whilst another mech kind of comes through, and you you almost want a carousel, um, a merry-go-round as mechs kind of cycle into relevance. 
Um, but is that the challenge where sometimes mechs are going to be the best and you don't want your mech to fade to be bad, but there does have to be mechs that will occupy that lower rung of effectiveness, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's the challenge is to, to nerf, nerf mechs to the points where, where they're not king of the heap anymore, but try and maintain them so that they can actually still be used effectively. So almost have a pyramid where you have a big bunch of, uh, you know, the bulk of mechs occupy the, the bottom rung, but they are still mm. competitive or they have a role to play. Um, and then as you get up, you'll get, um, you know, mechs at the very top that are the current meta, but it's just more important to have a mechanism where mechs are flowing up and down within that pyramid. Yeah, as long as it's not too fatiguing, because I mean you've been in the in the game long enough to see some of the, you know, major balance revisions that have come into the game, like skill tree, for example. Yeah. Those those kind of changes, you've got to be careful not to. I mean, you know, certain weapon changes can do it too. Where if you put too many in a row or too many close together, where people are logging into their mech bay and going, ugh, look at all these mechs that I can't use now until I've had a look at them and worked out you know, how I'm going to fix them. And it, if you do that too often, then people are just going to not do it. Yeah. <laughs> they're just going to decide to just go do something else. Yeah, or they're, going to, they're just going to go to a few mechs where they know that they can get some success out of. Yeah, honestly, I think some, you know, it does happen that if the change is too great and and the, the, the sort of the, the, the road to progress looks too steep, some people just, you know, find something else yeah. to do altogether so that's where it's really nice actually where if if you're making a balance change to uh, that affects a certain kind of mech or that is supposed to affect a certain kind of mech where if there's a, a mechanism where the players can shift to another loadout or another playstyle and still keep using that mech in a new way that that's quite nice yeah and we, we had a um a listener bring up a good point uh was on reddit he talked about that in any balance change, what what should be part of that change is that you can identify where the transition is. Uh, you can say that if mm. we are going to price people out of playing this certain style or this certain mech or this um, certain weapon system, we want to provide easy transition to another system or mech. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. And it's a really good point that he yeah. made. Yeah, shout out WYSIWYG. All right, so we've talked about some of the challenges in balancing mech and just how tricky that might be, and maybe more than anything else we've discussed thus far, there's a lot of pitfalls and, and, and constraints. What are some things that, that could be done about that? What are some things that we think PGI should consider if they are balancing by mechs? We've just talked about um, providing a, a transition. You know, is there anything else that, um, you know, because of course, you know, Russ is probably listening to this right now. Of course. Hi, Russ. Hi, Russ. I don't know. Did you did you have any suggestions? Got a list. Oh, <laughs> professional podcasters. Some of the things that I've that I've put down, um, and uh, a wise MechWarrior said to me that when we're considering rebalance, then we should be um, looking at mechs that we see as successful at the moment, um, quote unquote outlier mechs. Um, the Ivy Four be an example, and use that as a a yardstick or a benchmark for what's needed to make a mech competitive. Yeah, I think I, I think if you're talking about um, balancing upward, i.e., balancing put trying to put um, subpar mechs into the limelight, it, it it's 
you know, look no further than the IV4. For, you know, this is a mech that, on paper, doesn't really have much going for it. It really comes down to the quirks that it's got, and how they tie into the to the to the loadouts that it can take. So, I mean, for me, that's you know, should be the the bar, where this is what it make, takes to make a substandard mech fun and um, uh, desirable. An IV4 might give you an example of the magnitude of change that you might need to implement to, you know, bring a mech from obscurity to giving it a reason to play. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it is undeniably a fun mech to play. You can, it, you can afford to make a mistake or two because it's so tanky. I mean, it, it should be mentioned as well that one of the major reasons why it's good was kind of by accident. Uh, as far as I can tell, which is that, you know, it had those uh, two missile hardpoints on its side torso as well. That's not worth much when we can put in them as like LRMs or SRMs. Better, better give it a really good cooldown, but then all of a sudden MRMs are a thing. Well, you know, that 20% cooldown is worth a lot when you've, you know, got a 60 point alpha. And so it was, you know, that sort of um, timeline of the, the mech being recognized as you know not being able to do much with the, the weapon systems that were in the game and then emeryms coming in and then sort of a knock-on effect of how that the, those weapons synergized with the quirks existing quirks that made it you know yeah really really fun to play yeah you know what we're saying with the iv4 is it had mech related changes to it that made it good um and that would be the the point to make is that if you are going to rebalance a mech that we look at mechs that are performing well and we're looking at why they're performing well and if they're performing well because of quirks or those things that are or geometry or those things that are related to a mech then then those are the changes that you want to make and those are the things that you should consider if you're going to reduce those those things if you're going to um, but nerf something or change geometry you know that those are the things that you would consider about um you know whether you should make a change to a to a mech or not yeah and i mean i can already hear people saying power creep power creep <laughs> but the the thing is we're talking with this particular point the way i see it at least is that we're talking about bringing up mechs that are currently not really represented in the game as it is so you know the, the mechs that we see in the game, the vast majority of them are the most viable and powerful ones because, you know, who yeah. wants to drive a, you know, a substandard mech more than occasionally? So so by changing, you know, by bringing up those substandard mechs, we're not, we're not increasing the amount of power level on the field. We're only increasing the diversity. And I think that is something that is to be desired if you, if what PGI want is for us to go out and collect as many mechs as we can well stop at making all those crap ones something worth taking and that's probably the, the the key you know the next key kind of recommendation is that you want to give people a reason to play the mech you know and whether that's an emphasis on a certain role mm. um, or you know a certain quirk that, that synergizes well with a, with a certain weapon either they can specialize really well you know or they can they can you know carry out a certain role very very well you know mm. that that that's kind of one of the decisions that should make around balance but you know it's if we talk about that pyramid of of um of power you know and where people where mechs are in regards to their playability you just want to be having um you know mechs rise up 
through those levels and, and give people a reason to play them. Yeah, and I mean, some of those quirks can be really interesting as well because they can they can synergize, the word that I used earlier, they can synergize with the roles and builds that people are already taking with them. So they might not even necessarily make the mech potentially much more powerful, but they may make it better at doing its job, which kind of sounds counterintuitive, but let's talk about, say, the Raven 3L is is one example of this, where its quirks are about knocking for the most part. And, you know, the loadouts that you can take, you know, synergizes with that. You can you can run around with a few lasers and you can take stealth armor and you can knock the hell out of people. Well, that's that makes, and it's got... Um, 100 meters extra sensor range as well doesn't it so that really plays into that mech's role really well and it yeah. it, it doesn't make the the raven 3l you know op on the battlefield but it does give it a reason to be in the game yeah absolutely and and look the, the a role could be you know a role's not necessarily limited to um a certain weapon system or something like that you could get something like the the Sleipnir, which its role is to be a, a mech that's really usable for new players or something like that. Look, we talked about the Timberwolf and the Atlas as being iconic. Um, that could be another role that they play. They are the mascots or the representatives for PGI. You make them um, competitive because you know people recognise those mechs and, you, and, and they are iconic, so you want them to be able to contribute on the battlefield. But either way what you're saying is that as many mechs as you can you give give a reason to play them um and giving them a role is you know usually the most intuitive um thing to give people a reason to play them yeah and i mean there's there's plenty of mechs that have languished for years for no obvious reason with like um you know the gina is one that i'd pull out it's you know it's okay the the gina f i'll read you all the quirks that the gina f has okay you ready okay Laser duration, minus 5%. Base structure, CT, 11. And that's, uh, am I right in thinking a Jenna has a CT roughly the size of an Atlas? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a boat. It's a boat with legs. Up there for ugliest mech in the game. <laughs> oh, you just unsubscribe. A lot of people just <laughs> smash that like button. <laughs> I've just defended the four people that like playing the Jenna. No, it's um, <laughs> sorry, you know, Jesse. Yeah, it's a um, it, <laughs> it's an example of um, you know, where you can have a mech go the other way. That through geometry you can give people reasons not to play it. So that's kind of the challenge. And if we used uh, the Jenna as a as a case study, um, you know, what would be needed to bring it up to a level, or what role would they want it to play? You know that that would be something to you know to suddenly make the Jenna, um, you know something that people want to take out again. That that they'd need to to quirk it pretty heavily. Mm. Um, I mean, on or... paper, the Jenna is all right. Like you know, if you just look at its sort of base stats and its um, you know the loadout that it can take, it's kind of as good as the things around it. It's just that you know it it just I think it's one of those ones that's really been a victim of 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 timeline that it was once really good and then it's kind of been left to languish as, as you know, it becomes more and more irrelevant over time. Yeah, and, and I guess probably what we're, um, what we're advocating for here is that it's not that a mech like the Jenna shouldn't be, have some time where it's not relevant, but you almost want a, um, you know, an alarm clock on that stuff 
you know, if mm. a mech hasn't been relevant for a certain period of time, that's when it pops up as a reminder to say we should do something about the Jenna. You know, and particularly when you are pouring more mechs in as part of the free-to-play model, it means that, you know, if you're considering, you know, from a balanced perspective, that means that, you know, one of the things could be that, um, you know, you are period- periodically looking at every mech to see, you know, you know where it's kind of been in that pyramid. Um, and if it's been down for too long, you know, then you're making some active effort to bring it back up. For sure. And I think, it, it like, a couple of ways that we've got this right recently, whether by design or by accident, is um, Solaris. Solaris allowed me to rediscover a whole bunch of mechs in my mech lab that were just gathering dust that I hadn't played since, you know, open beta. Because, yeah. you know, in their division, suddenly they were relevant again. And that was quite nice, actually, to be like, ah, actually, you know, this thing's not bad. I can put this and that on it, you know, especially in a Solaris environment, which is quite different, of course, um, and, and sort of learn to love those mechs again. Um, another one is uh, the stock mode. It was another one where it introduced me, at least, to a bunch of mechs that I didn't already own and sort of forced me to go out and purchase those and skill those and actually a few of them I found well actually I don't mind this thing at all but but what you know I guess what we're getting to there is that the game modes give a perfect framework for a reason to play mech and Solaris is a really good example that some mechs will thrive in a one-on-one environment um, and if a mech let's say the Jenna has been languishing for a period of time suddenly you might give it a buff that means that it goes well one-on-one and say it's in Div 7 if it suddenly becomes one of the go-to mechs in Div 7, people have got a reason to take it out. And, you know, that's probably the, the you know, key takeaway around um, balancing and the balance consideration for mechs is just giving people a reason to play it. Yeah, and I guess, you know, Solaris should be giving PGI a ton of good data about um, mechs and where they rank, and uh, you know, in opposition to each other. Because if a mech, for example, cannot compete in Div 7 well, probably needs to look at it to you know make it worthwhile for someone to go out and purchase that mech or you know take it out of the garage yeah if it can't compete there where can it compete you know what exactly role right. has it got in the game and yeah or, exactly right you know or if it's too good for div 7 but still can't compete in div 6 you know there's another one it's just just as bad really all right, well, that's been a um, pretty good discussion, I think, on mechs. I think we've uh, maybe highlighted that uh, it, it certainly is a, a tricky um, part of the game to, to balance mechs. But, um, you know, I think the takeaways are that people want a reason to play mechs and, and they mean a lot to people. They mean a lot to the universe that is Battletech. Um, and really, they should be treated with, with some kitty gloves. They should be the last lever that you pull um, if it is that you want to uh, make another change to a game, would you agree to that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I just realised something though that we just talked about how emotionally attached people get to mechs, and then we we bashed on the generator. It was potentially not a good move. <laughs> well, send in your feedback, guys. Send it all to Cozen. Yeah, so do send me feedback um, if you are traumatised by our discussion uh, around the Jenna. Uh, <laughs> Hashtag offended. 
no seriously guys obviously um as, as always we do want to hear your feedback and um mechs are a hot topic obviously everyone has their favorite and um yeah please do tell us about um whether you agreed with the stuff that we talked about today or, or other suggestions that you may have uh as always we, we're keen to uh, listen to what you have to say and incorporate that into our own opinions uh, we are here basically just to have the conversation um and we do want you to be part of that indeed yeah send us your gina f builds op <laughs> send us your quirk suggestions for genus yeah that's that's a really good suggestion what would it take to make the gina f great again i just had a look by the way while we were talking where do you, which division do you think it's in i'm gonna say five oh, not far wrong actually but it is div four div so four that's gonna be pretty hard going versus those bushwhackers and crabs and dragons and Hunchback 2 season. Okay, so send us some feedback to tell us how many Solaris matches you've won in your Jena and what mechs you are fighting against. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, I think there's probably um, enough Jena bashing uh, for now. Um, you know, we don't want to we don't want to shame any mech. Um, hopefully, it will find its way back into the um, annals of of metas at some stage. But um, yeah, it, it does at least highlight uh, that sometimes not all mechs are created equal. All right, we are back, and we are here with everyone's favourite section. So I hope everyone's got their uh, pirate hats on now, taking the tinfoil hats off and um, switched it for a pirate hat, because we are going to sail the brown sea. Yar. Yar. Always. Yes. Pirates we be. <laughs> right, I uh, have a post from Reddit once again that I'm going to read out to you, Captain. Uh, this was posted by Tenacious B1. Uh, just a couple of days ago now, and Tenacious says, time to say goodbye to double strikes. Let's change the subject mm. for a minute. All the other balanced nonsense aside in the recent talk from Paul about cool shot issues, how are certain builds expected to showcase any kind of skill and rise above their squishiness when they are constantly dancing through clouds of red smoke? Even with busts to LRMs, which totally sucks, landing shots from your equipped weapons should reign supreme over consumables. Maybe I'm projecting a little bit because I totally use double strikes and think it's hilarious when it rips a, a piranha in half, but I would be glad to see it get the axe. Your thoughts, Captain? I mean, you've uh, had to, to tackle the um, strike issue as a captain for uh, MOBC? Yeah, yeah. I We did, as team leaders, have to... Um, we were asked to vote on whether strikes should be included in MOBC. And then, so we had a bit of conversation around that. And there were some really good points. I mean, first, I need to acknowledge that it does suck um, to get airstriked and killed, especially when you know you're just running along minding your own business and you just get caught in the crossfire of an airstrike or um you know you think you're safe and then suddenly an airstrike pops you it can happen in a life especially when you're flat-footed as a team you know you can be put into quite a stressful situation where you're clustered behind some crappy pieces of cover there's too many mechs behind it and you're just getting striked to death and that sucks and it's yeah. and in a way it's kind of like lrms you know, it's kind of people can shoot you without you being able to shoot them back, which is kind of just unpleasant. So I need to acknowledge that. On the other hand, if you didn't have strikes in the game, that would mean that people can 
really just entrench themselves in the best camping positions without much fear of retaliation. So say up in the pinnacles in Tourmaline is one, where, you know, if I've got ER large lasers, I can sit up there and just farm away. And really the best option someone has is either to run all the way towards me, getting farmed all the way, or airstrike me. And a couple of good airstrikes can really put someone off the, the idea that they're going to keep poking that bit of, you know, that really nice sniper's nest. So that's that's one major thing. So, I mean, strikes are there, obviously, as formation breakers, as you were saying. Do you, I mean, do you notice that you get hit by strikes, uh, you know, or that you get killed by strikes very often? Mm, not so much getting killed by them. Getting hit by them is, is, is pretty much a... You know, in every game occurrence, perhaps, where, you know, potentially there's, you know, two per player on the enemy team. That's 24 strikes that might hit you throughout the game. Well, not not hit you, but be launched at your team. Yeah. So th there's a pretty high chance that you, you're going to get hit by at least one strike. Um, yeah, I mean, get, getting hit by is one thing, but, I mean, getting killed, I think, is another. I uh, Like, the, the reference to LRMs, I think, is probably a good one because I think there may be another area of the game that just get a little bit of a bad rap because they, they aren't, quote-unquote, direct fire, and people think that there's not any skill in, in using strikes. But, you know, do you... Man, I've launched a thousand strikes and hit nothing. You know, do, do you think there's an element... <laughs> do you think there's an element of skill involved? Oh, I mean, those 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 strikes where you just get the most juicy angle and the, the, the enemy teams really cluster together in like a little valley or something and, it, and you just, you know, pop in with the right angle and the strike comes available at the right time. I mean, and then you launch it, it's it's pretty good. It's, it's pretty fun. But yeah. I think, if anything, I get killed by trying to launch strikes and just right, right when I pop out of cover and my light mech and try to launch my strike, someone bloody takes it. Yeah, that's always fun. Eh? Did you do that two or, th two or three times in a row? <laughs> Maybe that's the most yeah. dangerous thing about using strikes. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, is trying to use a strike and then getting killed. Like, I think Tenacious <laughs> is maybe maybe going a little bit, um, you know, maybe saying a little bit too much here that, you know, how can certain builds um, showcase any kind of skill and rise above their squishiness? I mean, I just, I actually like where, where strikes are at. I think that there is an element of skill, obviously not as, as much skill as other direct fire and other weapon systems, but there's certainly an element of skill in both placing a strike and when you're on the battlefield being aware of strikes. I, I, you know, they they are formation breakers. They do make people move. You know, you do have the option to punish someone who's just entrenching in cover. So, I mean, I, I think they're pretty good. I mean, you know, yeah, keeps, trust me, I've got... A lot of experience with dying in the game and i just don't you know not a large portion of that goes to um to strikes yeah i th think um it, it's really punitive uh, airstrikes are really punitive to to um stagnant gameplay so if you're just sitting in the same place with a bunch of you poking out of the same cover you're going to get struck to death and so punishing that does keep the game more dynamic because you know it only takes one or two strikes to usually get people get the message across that maybe we don't need we, we shouldn't be sitting behind this cover anymore and we maybe need to actually act and do something yeah, yeah start moving the other one that the other one that should be mentioned perhaps is is also that um with brawler builds 
you know, it's one of the key ways that you can get some damage down range where you try to close, you know, with, you know, say, you, say you're trying to close with a bunch of Hellbringers behind a ridge or something. You know, if you can drop strikes on your way up, you can really suppress and keep them down until you can get in range to use your SRMs or, or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. It is another option to, um, yeah, to attack with range for, for those that close range builds. I think I think if we took strikes out of the game, we'd see a lot more blue blue laser farming from the back, from the you know a really nice position where someone can just set up and and have a, a big overview of the battlefield for over a thousand meters, and if you try to push them, they can just farm you down. Well, yeah. strikes would strikes help to prevent that kind of gameplay, somewhat. Yeah, for sure. And look, I mean the um, the community. Uh, you know, there was quite a few replies on that post. Um, mm. So, you know, a lot of people kind of dived dived into the Brown Sea and, and um, you know, answered. And truth be told, it was, uh, you know, it's pretty much 50-50, I think. Um, a lot of people have just more talked about tweaking the mechanism rather than getting rid of it. You know, some people mm. talked about getting rid of consumables and, uh, you know, completely. But, yeah, I, look, I agree. I, I don't find them that big an issue. I think, actually, I think the nerfs that happened to airstrikes recently by PGI I think they actually uh, they worked you know you s- certainly good, see good. a lot more artillery right yeah yeah absolutely absolutely you know it's, um, I mean, the, the, I'd, I'd be open to the idea of you know rebalancing some of those um, I, I, and I'm not I'm not going to deny that it is you know potentially a bit of a seabill sink for PGI and that's a part of the reason why it's in the game it's just that they do serve a valuable purpose tactically as well <laughs> um, and it, I mean I've seen a couple of good suggestions uh, that maybe could be looked at. They're quite major, though, in terms of you know implementation, which is you know making things like airstrikes like something that you actually need to equip on your mech and take tonnage. Mm. Yeah, I mean that again. I I think you know mechanism changes like that should be considered. But yeah, again, I, I think you should focus changes that you're going to make to improve the game on on areas that you're going to get a better return on investment and well you know i just i, I kind of disagree with tenacious i don't think that they're that big a deal I, you know i, I enjoy that the, the the state that they're in at the moment i think that they should stay a bit of confirmation bias that you perhaps that you tend to notice when you get killed by something like an airstrike more than you yeah. get you notice when you you know just get killed by getting shot in the face yeah, like the same with LRMs. You know, the number of times you die to LRMs compared to other other methods, but uh, those are the ones that stick with you. Those horrible, horrible deaths. We just can't do anything. You're just getting smashed. Yeah. Well, what we'd say to everyone is just remember that sound, that lovely bitch and Betty that says incoming missile. That's the sound that you need to remember. <laughs> Every time you hear that, think of us. Think or of do. Us and... Do we want them to do that? I'm not sure they want it. To... <laughs> uh, you just just listen, support us on Patreon. That's all that matters. <laughs> That's the key takeaway from this whole podcast. Yeah. Should airstrikes stay, make sure you listen to us and support us on Patreon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, good post to Nash's B. Uh, a, a lot of good um, chat there. And uh, yeah, obviously, do uh, tell us whether you agree. Check out that post from Tenacious and have your say and, and read some of the responses there. There's some some pretty good stuff from, from a lot of people there with some different options. So yeah, that wasn't um, too brown a venture into the waters of the Brown Sea. So yeah, looking forward to next week. So um, yeah, keep posting, we'll keep reading and and, uh, look forward to featuring something else next week.
So that's episode two of our balance series complete. I hope you enjoyed listening to that. As ever, we are keen to hear your feedback. And if you wanted to get in touch with us, you can reach out and contact us on Twitter at IncomingP. You could comment on our YouTube videos, or you could start a topic on Outreach HPG and tag us in it. And if you're listening to us on YouTube, do hit like and subscribe and potentially have a look at subscribing to us on your favorite podcast platform so hopefully you're seeing it distributing out there now we're on stitcher breaker pocket casts radio public spotify google podcast Castbox. we're going to go on apple soon as soon as they sort whatever problems they're having out and you can also find us on soundcloud and if you enjoy these podcasts and you'd like us to make some more then we do have a patreon where you can support us monetarily um, there's a few reward tiers there we're going to look at introducing some more and for all commenters we're going to put you in a draw and potentially you can win a mech pack last week we said the same thing so if you check out our youtube channel you can see that draw and we do have a lucky winner there uh, and as we said earlier on at the front end of the podcast we are looking to wrap these balanced discussions up to a sort of conclusion and that's going to entail what we're calling a mech scale which will be a kind of a form that we're asking you guys to fill in and then again we're going to offer some prizes to incentivize that and you'll hear more about that soon so we've had fun making these and yeah and we look forward to making some more because um so far it's been really enjoyable having these conversations with uh, each other and with you and we've got some exciting ideas for the future which we're really looking forward to sharing with you guys and if you had any questions guys do feel free to tweet them at us or email them to us and we might end up discussing those on stream well that's all for now look forward to catching you again on the next episode 07 mac warriors good hunting shutdown sequence initiated